You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 71, Reaping What We Sow. Well, technology has caused the generational divides to become more akin to massive canyons, especially between the two ends of the generational spectrum. But it isn't just the use of technology that has sparked a rise in tension and hostility. It's also the fruit of our discipleship efforts coming home to roost. As a pastor in a college town, our guest today, Dr. Sharon Hottie Miller, joins me to discuss what she sees as signs and signals of where Christians are stepping up to encourage others and how we should properly understand our contribution toward what we see today. So let's hop into this great discussion with Sharon. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Appreciate it. Uh, most people watching and listening should know who you are, but uh, could you give us a little brief introduction about yourself and your ministry? Yeah. Well, first of all, call me Sharon. Okay. We'll do. I, <laughs> I'm kind of from I, the like old school yeah. where you only call someone a doctor if you're like in a college or university setting, yeah. but otherwise. Fair enough. I, 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 I plan on doing that the rest of the time, but I yeah. at least want to acknowledge up front. You do have a no, PhD. That's very so. kind and, and yeah. honoring. Um, yeah. So I'm in Durham, North Carolina, and I lead Bright City Church with my husband, Ike. And we launched, we're actually about to celebrate our third anniversary. So awesome. we, our church is about three years old, which means we have spent more than half the life of our church in a pandemic. That's right. So there's that. That's right. <laughs> there's that. So uh, I'm the teaching pastor of our church. And then I also write. I have two books and I just actually turned in the manuscript for my third. So that All will right. be coming out next August. Okay. And then most importantly, I am a mom and I have three kids age nine, six, and three. So we have two boys and a girl. And our daughter is basically in charge of my husband. Like whatever <laughs> she says is what he's doing. Sounds about right. <laughs> is, she, is she the oldest, the middle, or the youngest? She's the youngest. She's oh, the youngest. Wow. And a so, lot of sway there. Uh-huh, yeah, definitely. we're really, but she's also, I mean, she is so cute. She's so cute. And so we're all just goners. Like we can't, we can't say no. We're all just helpless. <laughs> She's yeah, she's just the cutest thing ever. So that's awesome. That's definitely how we feel about our two-year-old Deacon. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, he definitely has everyone doing whatever he wants or needs. Um, well, so for this episode today, uh, we're talking about the seemingly ever-present divide of generations understanding one another. Uh, people tend to joke about it, say cliche things like, Well, back in my day, or when would those kids learn? Um, but I feel like along with satire, has underlying truth and reality in how they actually feel. Um, People also might think young people today with their technology and how they react, they're so selfish and ignorant. Um, But those of us who might look down at younger generations, or really any other generation aside from our own with any amount of disdain, should be aware of how we have contributed to the things that we complain about and dislike. Uh, So Sharon, let's start with the big picture. Do you feel like the current generational divides 
are wider and more intense than they have been from your experience and what you've seen? Or do you feel like just because of the all ever present internet, uh, we're just being inundated with it more. And so we see it more. What do you think is the actual truth there? Yeah. I mean, so much of this, because I'm not a sociologist, this is mostly my perspective, you know, as a pastor and we are, we're in a college town. And so Mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. have, we have three major universities and then some smaller colleges as well. And so we have a lot of young people around here, but my, my impression is that the divide is not new at all. Like maybe it's dividing along different lines and in different ways, but you know, you think back to, the sixties and the Mm seventies. And you think how different those were from the fifties and how, you know, hippies, how people thought hippies were just, you know, godless and, you know, liberal. And, you know, it seems like there's every generation, the older folks look back on the younger folks and say, you know, the world is just going, you know, down the drain because of these young people. Mm -hmm. And really it's, it's just, the world has changed, you know, in different ways. And, and, and even just looking back, when we look back on the 50s, which, you know, seemed like such a wholesome time in so many ways, but was also a really dark period in terms of racism. And so, yes, you know, on yep, in yep. one from one perspective, it, it was very wholesome and mm-hmm. very Christian and, you know, very moral, except for <laughs> this giant gaping immorality in our country that no one was, you know, talking about. Mm -hmm. So I I imagine, you know, the ways that that we divide are probably just in different ways, but I I definitely don't feel like this is new at all. Mm -hmm. I I think you are probably right. Just maybe we're able to see it more, but, but even in that, I, I have a sense that older people 30 years ago probably looked at younger people and thought, Oh no, you know, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> what's going to happen? Yeah. I, I would agree. And, and I think, um, I think the answer to my question might kind of be a, a both and, um, because there's so much that has, is happening to us regardless of our generation, because of just what we're seeing and being exposed to. You know, I've heard people said, uh, I've heard people say, and I've read people talk about how no wonder we all have so much anxiety. We're not built to know and learn what's happening to everyone all the Mm -hmm. time. You know, it's just so much. Um, And also I feel like because of how everything is moving now from analog to digital that, you know, Gen Z and also, Gen Alpha behind them. These are the generations that didn't have AOL pop up when they're in junior high, kind of like I did. You know, they um, they've only known technology, and so I feel like right. that has staying power because of how much of a shift it has created in culture mm-hmm. and any kind of paradigm mm-hmm. and things like that. Uh, yep. So it's kind of like, yes, there are big changes. I love how you know, yeah, the world is always changing. In fact, Jesus mm-hmm. said, Jesus promised that it's gonna keep changing and probably actually getting worse until I come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of things to be aware of, of how we're being influenced and how we're responding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you think about the hippies that came out of the fifties, mm-hmm. I think that's adding to the obvious huge thing. That's really important to bring up as much as we can in racism and really 
acknowledging history, not just this mm-hmm. history or that history. Yeah. Well, um, and I was, I was talking just the other day, I talked to my mother-in-law about this a lot because she gets very concerned and she was talking about how pe- fewer and fewer people, you know, are going to church and, and mm. just how concerning that is. But even that has been cyclical. When we look yep. back on American history, there have been other times like a hundred years ago when there wasn't a high percentage of people that were regularly going to church. And we tend to think that Christian has always been this deeply, deeply religious nation, Christian nation. And in some sense that is true, but it, it has been cyclical, you know, and that's why you have these revivals all of a sudden where there's this, you know, surge in, in spirituality and so I think that knowing that as well, that, that this isn't the first time that we've seen an ebb or a flow. This isn't the first time that our country has experienced division. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. So right. that's, that's really encouraging to remember. Yes, definitely. And, you know, add, adding to that, that cycle, um, I think what we're going to talk about here a little bit too is, uh, you know, how we've contributed to things that we see. And so we talk about how the 50s are glorious and golden, but what came right after that, the children of the fifties are the hippies. And these people mm-hmm. is like, Oh, wait a minute. If this was really great, then how come this contributed to what those same adults now like despise and complain about? And so mm-hmm. we have yeah. a big influence, a huge influence in how the next generation thinks about things, receives things, contemplates things, values things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, uh, I think this follow-up question might get us to where most people are like, okay, as a youth worker or even as a believer, what's my uh, job and what's my role? So um, what roles do you think Christians have played in generational mm-hmm. divides, both maybe beneficial to make distinctions, but also detrimental? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think any time Christians are not taking into account the way that that history has that that sort of trickle down effect we end up being really judgmental towards and condescending towards younger people instead of understanding what were the cultural factors that shaped them so yeah. one example of this in my first book i my first book is called free of me why life is better when it's not about you and it's about self forgetfulness but i look in one of the earliest chapters at the self-esteem movement and how it is, you know, very much on the importance of affirmation and reminding people that they are special and that they can do anything. And millennials, especially I have become sort of the whipping post for that, that movement and Mm -hmm. blamed that, you know, now look how fragile they are. Look how, you know, not resilient they are because of this thinking But when I was writing the book and researching it, I learned that the self-esteem movement began with boomers. That's where it started. And it seems a little bit unfair for it to begin with boomers, but then for boomers to be sort of looking back and blaming the generation that was shaped, you know, fundamentally by it. And so I I think it really, we need to have more humility, you know, (laughs) in looking at at young people and and understanding that this wasn't just a rotten generation that that was born out of nowhere and, you know, they spoiled themselves. 
and we can now stand over them in judgment. And so I think there's humility with that, but there's also the bigger picture of knowing that whatever trend we are buying into now, and and this is really sobering to me, is we won't see the impact of it possibly for 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to my my husband about this with you know a lot of the conversations around gender and sexuality in our secular culture. And I said, you know, this is all kind of an experiment and we we won't really know the fallout for for 30 years. And and we can all guess at what that will be, but none of us really knows. And so that that is also really humbling <laughs> and really sobering. So my my overall takeaway from that is simply to be less finger wagging mm-hmm. about, you know, any given generation and and how, you know, what all their problems are, but instead instead consider, you know, what have we done? you know, to contribute to it. And mm-hmm. also how have, have we been shaped, you know, in, in ways that are maybe different, better or worse than, than generations past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we can only respond to what we experience and see. And obviously different generations are going to experience things differently. It's going to shape them differently. A prime example uh, at least right now, when we're recording this, this past weekend was the 20th anniversary of nine 11. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, I have an exact picture. I know exactly what that day looked like from the beginning of the day all throughout. Um, I made sure to go buy uh, the Arizona Republic paper on September 12th, and I still have it. And um, just thinking about how that shaped uh, me and people I know. and um, And yet, you know, most of my students now don't remember it um, or maybe some of the older ones who just graduated, you know, might remember their parents reacting and and things happening, but they weren't really affected as I was or as you were or people older as well. Um, So it's good for us to keep in mind, like, you know, we also older generations, we have a lot more hindsight than younger Mm -hmm. ones. And so Mm -hmm. that that's part of why, you know, the whole model of how to teach we've been there. And so we know some of the pitfalls parenting the same thing. Okay, I'm gonna let you figure that out. Oh, you realize that's not good. Good. I'm glad you realized that, right? Because mm-hmm. they can only hear us say that so much, they have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, but how are we going to walk with them? And in this case, with this next generation and how they experience things. And um, I love that you brought up the resiliency. Um, mm-hmm. And for millennials and definitely for, for Gen Z and uh, older generations, talking about how, oh, they're much of snowflakes. They can't handle this or handle that. And it's like, well, why don't you look at it from the perspective of uh, maybe they're actually being willing to deal with things and be vulnerable that are mentally or emotionally unhealthy that your generation pushed down and didn't deal with. And it's come out in different ways that's hurt mm-hmm. other people that you haven't realized. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so yeah. it's it's really good for us to say, I'm not sure I like that or that doesn't seem right to me but you know just think about if you were in their shoes or since I didn't do that how am I different and it's good for us to have really good awareness mm-hmm. and I think awareness mm-hmm. and humility are the two big things mm-hmm. that keep yeah. popping up and then and, and I would also say a redemptive imagination for what 
the current cultural climate, how we can raise our kids in it Mm -hmm. to be prepared for what is coming instead of sheltering them from it. Because I think that's, I think that's the other thing that Mm -hmm. because things are so different it, and we, there's a lot of unknowns and it can feel really scary. I think the temptation is to want to shield your children from that, you know, as much as possible. And so just to give you an example that I thought this was so interesting. I was on Facebook this morning and I saw a friend of mine who she and her husband also lead a church plant. And she was sharing that her child at school had been sharing about Jesus on the playground. And I don't know what they were saying exactly, but the teacher had said, you know, you need to be careful about that. Not everyone has the same beliefs as you. And so we need to be careful about talking about Jesus to people in a way that could be feel, you know, insensitive. And so the mother was, you know, sharing about this experience and she was mostly sharing just to say that she was really proud of her, her child for being so fearless and and sharing the gospel. But what was really interesting was the responses. And I was noticing how a number of people said, you know, maybe you should consider taking your child out of that school and putting them in a Christian school. Mm. And, you know, there's reasons for being in public school, you know, versus private school, that's a whole other conversation. But I thought it was really fascinating that the response to some people of your child encountering the world with the gospel, I mean, that child was doing evangelism, was to say, oh, let's take them out of there and put them into this environment where it's almost entirely Christian. Mm -hmm. Instead of asking, like, how can I walk alongside my child to prepare them so that when they leave the house, they are prepared for the the actual world. And so that that's something that I, I and my husband, we think about a lot is not thinking, how do we simply protect our kids from the world? Because I mean, the world is scary. We do want to protect our kids. But even, you know, with the pandemic, I think there's a lot of despair over what this is, you know, doing to our kids. And I, I try and think of it very differently as how can this be sowing resiliency into our kids? Like how could they be better and stronger and not the snowflake, you know, when they're adults because Mm -hmm. they grew up in a pandemic. And so I, I think there's actually a lot of hope. I mean, we have a resurrection at the center of our gospel. Right. And so we we should feel a lot of hope because of that. And so I think that's a really important perspective as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And I know people watching, listening, uh, the, uh, the, the school setting, there, there's so much that goes into that. Uh, being in Texas, I'm pretty sure maybe it's because of how big Texas is, but also I think we're the biggest state as far as the amount of homeschooled kids. There's mm. a lot of homeschooling that goes on in Texas. And um, not saying it's bad, not saying it's a mm-hmm. great, like I'm just bringing it up. But also I, I think it's pretty clear. And I think a lot of homeschooling parents would agree that a big reason why a lot of the homeschooling goes on, especially if it's a Christian home, uh, I think a decent component in that is the shielding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as, as parents, there are things, as you brought, there are things we do want to shield our kids from, you know, there's a reason why we don't 
put on certain movies and whatever else for our two-year-olds. You know, there, there's, there's uh-huh. a reason for that. Uh-huh. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, uh, so my wife has a really good uh, perspective on that because I think she, from preschool through high school, she was public, private, and homeschooled all in that. Like she had oh, different wow. Some She's a lot like shorter a than, than others. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some a lot shorter than, than others. Uh-huh. Uh, but her, um, yeah, her perspective on a lot of that has been really helpful, especially as we consider the, the future for our son and really how we interact with students. I've always had a conglomeration of those three students in our youth group and it's a smaller uh-huh. church. And so uh-huh. um, some of those characteristics become more evident, uh-huh. but it's interesting uh-huh. to see um how people react to the cultural warfare and, uh-huh. you know, and that's something else that we could fill multiple other podcast episodes with is the whole us versus them mentality and uh-huh. how that's anti-gospel. The gospel is about yeah. reconciliation. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, there's, there's a lot um, that goes into seeing adversity. Oh, you should protect your kid and put him in this, in this role. And, um, uh-huh. You know, I wonder how much of that plays into with parents who are reacting that way to what what happened um, is thinking back to maybe when they were kids and they would do something and their parents would do something that that child would think like is an overreaction. But yet maybe mm-hmm. they're making the same things now. So they're being shaped by mm-hmm. things that when they were younger, it's like, well, this doesn't make sense. And some of that has to do with aging experience. But doesn't invalidate the perspective of the younger people. Mm-hmm. So we have to yeah. consider all that. Yeah. So I'm, I know you didn't anticipate having, you know, like a discussion about private right. school versus <laughs> public school, but I think, you know, every family is different. Every kid is different. You know, there's so many different issues to weigh in, but not having, I, I think the important thing is preparing your children to go out into the world and make disciples Yes. yes. and not in an embattled posture you know, mm-hmm. but in an incarnational one. And I, mm-hmm. I think that is, that's the name of the game. You know, however you do it, there's, there's more than one way, but making sure that we are preparing our children to be disciples in the actual world. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yeah. And that's the benefit of being the maverick. Everything's in my wheelhouse. So don't worry mm-hmm. about rabbit trails. They're just awesome opportunities to talk about other things. Um, so, so being able to process how, generational divides and when we were younger and now how that's shaped us, that's important to consider. So let's stay with that theme. Um, So how should believers, especially for our audience, our context, those who work with children and youth next generation, how should we be stepping into the fray of that generational warfare as messengers of hope and reconciliation uh, that Uh scripture says we are to be? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I, because I'm not a youth pastor, I'm sure everything I'm about to say is nothing new for anyone who's been in youth ministry for any amount of time. But I think empathy and compassion has got to be, you know, the name of the game. I remember when we first planted and we have a lot of college students at our church. And one thing that I started noticing right away was the anxiety. You know, Mm. our, our students have so much anxiety. So much. And I was really stunned by this because I went to college in this area. So I went to undergrad and graduate school at Duke and Duke is 
intense. It's a very intense, academically intense school. And so I knew about stress, but we, that was, I graduated a long time ago and things have changed since then. And I was really shocked to see the level of anxiety now is unlike anything I experienced during my undergrad. And I know it's not because school is harder now, you know, that's not why. And so I was, you know, paying attention to this and, and asking questions. And every now and then I would sort of speculate and say, you know, maybe it's this, you know, maybe, maybe this is why. And it was never received well. (laughs) When I would, when I would try and say, you know, from my years of experience, well, maybe it's just this, like, maybe you need to, you know, just change this, or maybe it's this perspective, or maybe it's, it's our culture, you know, whatever it is. And it really, it was not, I I think our students, whenever I would say that, they just didn't feel seen or really understood. And to some extent, they might've even felt talked down to a little Mm -hmm. bit. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we, you know, are, what is the phrase like armchair quarterback, you know, when Mm -hmm. we try and kind of do that with young people, it doesn't go well. Like we're not pastoring them well when, when we do that. And so that's, that's something that I would assume is also true for, for youth as, as well as to not necessarily give explanations and all of our, you know, years of wisdom for why, you know, this cultural phenomenon is happening, but instead try to be empathetic and compassionate and to like deeply, deeply understand, you know, how they are feeling. Um, to truly listen. I mean, that's something too that our culture is so terrible at is listening. Mm-hmm. We are not a listening culture. Yeah, totally agree. And that's something that we as a church have really gone come through a season where my husband did something called the listening initiative, where he would get together with different people in our church and he would ask them questions about kind of hot button issues and just ask, you know, where are you on this? How are you feeling about it? And he wouldn't give any response at all. He would literally just sit, listen, and take notes. And that's all he did. And then he did a sermon series on listening afterwards and how Jesus was such a good listener. You know, people always came away from him, you know, when when they came to him in earnest and in real pain, they never left feeling unheard by Jesus and how important it is in a culture of noise and constant overstimulation mm-hmm. and you know that general generational divide where we do think we know better than than young people uh, how important it is for the church to listen to people in their pain. Yes. And to me that seems to be one of the most important things that that we can do right now. I love it. Yeah. I completely agree um with all of that and yeah um you know this this generation gen z as of now uh i love the studies that barna has i both have gen z volume one and volume two and i've used those for different things but so gen z biggest generation ever most anxious generation ever mm-hmm. and kara yeah. powell talked about from fuller youth institute how in the pandemic depending on age group and geography and things um, anxiety and depression have tripled or even quadrupled with like 18 to 20 or 13 to 23 year olds, something like that. And yeah, there's a lot. And I think a lot of it has to do with these. Um, okay. But 
you're right. You know, um, some things like like Duke is always going to be challenging, <laughs> and yeah. other things are going to be. But um, I think it's because the comparison. Because now what we see everyone doing, um, I tell my students all the time. Uh, you know, being here in Texas where it's so big and so there's a lot to compete with academically and how um, when I did internships in Florida or did something else like um, you would have students with AP and, and dual credit courses, they would have like something obnoxious, like a weighted 4.8 GPA and they can't get into the college that they want. It's yeah. Like, yeah, that would give you anxiety. <laughs> you know, you've yeah. had parents or whoever else like you need to get your grades and you put that on yourself and you get to this point and you really haven't done anything that would disqualify you you're just being told that you're not good enough mm-hmm. and wow you know mm-hmm. and throw that in with you're instantly and forever judged by 144 characters or however much it is on, mm-hmm. on twitter for one thing that you said mm-hmm. that's it that's who you are yeah. um yeah. and yeah, I'm so glad that we didn't grow up with social social. I know because I know I know adults who can't handle that. You know, oh, yeah. I know adults who frequently have to take social media breaks because mm-hmm. it's so it weighs them down and yep. shrinks their souls and just irritates their insecurities. And so to expect you know, 14, 15 year olds to be able to handle it is just and I, and I think that's another reason why we do need to have humility and compassion is the truth is we didn't grow up that way. And so it's, it's really arrogant to think that we can stand over them and say, I know better when we didn't grow up that way. (laughs) Yeah. We we didn't grow up that way. And Mm -hmm. so I I think, you know, humility is, is the name of the game. Compassion, empathy are are the name of the game. And, and that doesn't mean I think nothing matters, you know, (laughs) that like, you know, truth and wisdom, you know, don't go out the door, but that our starting point needs to be our own limited experience with this. Yeah, no, definitely. And I I think, I think in this context, we're really talking about, you know, pushing against the extremes of they'll get over it or what's wrong mm-hmm. with them. Or you're right, because we don't have that personal experience. And so empathy and compassion are certainly needed for that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, so let's wrap up with some words of wisdom, inspiration, some encouraging things that you've seen um, in your years of ministry, traveling, speaking, engaging with people. Um, Sharon, what are some stories you've heard or settings you've been in where you've mm-hmm. seen healthy and encouraging partnership and unity between different generations. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am encouraged honestly by my own church and being in a college town and we, we have uh, college students are really involved, you know, in the churches here. But honestly, one thing that is is really encouraging to me, I was talking to one of our young people who I guess she would be Gen Z. She's out of college now, but I think she would be Gen Z. I think. What is the cutoff? How, what's the oldest Gen Zers? I, I think 98. From m- most things I've read, 98 or so, 97, 98. She's like 23. So I think she's Gen I'm terrible Z. at math. So you need to help me. I am too. I can't do math. I was an English, you know, my religion we'll major, it's, English it's, minor. It's, tw- it's 2021. So <laughs> yeah. So 23, she would be right at the cutoff. Okay. She's like right there. So she's a um, 
Millennial Z, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm so bad at math. Um, but I was talking to her about one of the things that really impresses me about younger people is that, that self-awareness. Mm. And like one example of this is I was just watching the Netflix movie, He's All That. Okay. So did you ever see She's All That? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so She's All That was... My that came out my senior year of high school. Okay. So that tells you how old I am. <laughs> I was the same, the graduating class in that movie was my graduating class the same year. And so that movie for me is very nostalgic. It's very symbolic of, you know, high school. And for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's it's one of those kind of uh, My Fair Lady sort of premises where mm-hmm. he, on a bet, he says he can transform this nerdy girl into a a cool girl and then you know in the process falls in love and so netflix just came out with a flipped version called he's all that where this social media influencer played by addison ray who i didn't know anything about until the movie but apparently she's like a big deal Mm -hmm. so she uh does the same thing with a guy she takes kind of a nerdy guy and then you know does a makeover on him And there's this one scene where the nerdy guy has been nominated to be prom king and all these different factions in the school that are kind of on the margins are excited for him because he represents them. And this one girl comes up and she's sort of, I don't think goth is a thing anymore, is it? yeah it's it's very nuanced now so there's like (laughs) it's 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 kind of shattered so goth has become like an umbrella for like other different things okay you're that's the the best way to put it (laughs) you're the right person for your job the fact that you answered (laughs) goth is very nuanced now um she had kind of that vibe where she had you know black lipstick on and she had you know a pale face and dark hair and sure you know, spikes and all that. And and she comes up to him and she says, if I were interested in, you know, who becomes prom king, like if I didn't think that this was a heteronormative patriarchal construct, then I would vote for you. And I saw that and I thought, this is such a great distinction between this generation and mine Hmm. because if and and I thought if you had shown me this movie when I was 18 years old I could not have interpreted what that sentence even meant you know I would have Mm -hmm. had no idea yeah totally and it to me it really it was it was a it was really symbolic I I think that that is a great example of how self-aware the this young generation is in you know in some complicated ways but honestly also in some good ways i Mm -hmm. I think that people are thinking young people are thinking about systems of power and they're thinking about the nuances of identity and they're they're seeing all of these things in a way that we were completely oblivious to and i think that that can have you know that can be blown out of proportion i think it can become an idol in some ways, but I, I also think it really it, it could be good, you know, examining, you know, structures of power and, and how they negatively impact people. And so that, that is 
oddly very encouraging to me. And, and so when I was talking to my friend who's 23, I said, you know, I, I really appreciate how, you know, self-aware your generation is. And, and her response was funny because she said, well, you know, with Jesus. <laughs> she said, without Jesus, I think we can be just as sort of, you know, inwardly focused and, mm-hmm. and have a small vision for our lives as, you know, any other generation before. But in her specifically, I see so much wisdom and understanding of, you know, human dynamics that I did not understand when I was 23 at all. You know, the things that I would say to people that was so insensitive and, black and white that she and and her friends in in our church would not do that anymore they're they're just wiser in that way and so that that is really really encouraging to me because i when i was young and i especially was growing in my faith i just would say whatever i thought was true to people and it was really hurtful mm. <laughs> and it wasn't good for the church yeah. and so i'm i'm encouraged that people are learning more how to be human to one another and in compassionate because we need that for the gospel to have credibility yeah totally agree the um I've, you know, I've had people on here I've talked with about, especially um, during election season or with racism, everything else. It's, you know, how we say something oftentimes is as important, sometimes in certain contexts, more important than what we're actually saying. We can say mm-hmm. the right things, yeah. but if they receive it harshly, if they feel like the person saying it doesn't care about them, it doesn't right. matter what that person is saying. Okay, whatever. And that just fuels the ongoing, certainly online, but as we see now, even in-person polarization that just seems mm-hmm. to be, that does seem to be widening. That's one yeah. gap that is getting wider and um, that just adds to it. But yeah, the um, the appreciation of the perspective, uh, the wider perspective, the listening perspective, the yeah. taking in, observing, thinking about perspective of the younger generation is something that's very admirable I definitely didn't. I mean, I'm still a junior high kid at, at heart. Some, I'm, sometimes I still put my foot in my mouth uh, and say mm-hmm. things that are terrible. But, it, you know, working with students um, over a certain period, uh, yeah, you definitely see how they respond to things. And, you know, something that a student seven years ago would have just died laughing at, the other student now is like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like, that's and, offensive. You know? Right, right, <laughs> right. And, yeah. um, and it and it is awareness as much as we want to take into account oh they're just fragile oh they're just whatever i don't know uh, i think I, I feel like yeah i feel like when we're saying that um something i say every episode i feel like lately uh we have our horse blinders on we're just focusing uh-huh. on well here's how it is and yeah. god often works in the periphery so uh-huh. much that we don't see things and if we don't have our focus on it, we're going to say God is silent or no, my way is the right way. Uh-huh. And if we just have awareness, if we just open those blinders a little bit, um, we should be humbled. Um, uh-huh. Even if we're yeah. not looking for it, no one wants to be, but we should be because we're going to find uh-huh. it. Yeah, I think most cultural trends are a double-edged sword. You know, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. the self-esteem generation that that was a double-edged sword where yes, of course people should be affirmed. People children should not just be seen and not heard. You know, they they should be cherished and and delighted in and because that reflects their heavenly father. Mm-hmm. Should they be told that they can literally do anything if they set their mind to it? 
mm, you know, maybe not necessarily, <laughs> you know, there's, you know, there's, there's a double-edged sword. And I see the same with, with this, where there, there is very much this entrenched individualism where you can't tell anyone how they can live their life. And that is a problem. But at the same time, having the perspective to understand that I can't just speak into your life if I'm just a random person who doesn't have a relationship with you. Or maybe before I speak into your life, I need to try really hard to understand like how you came to that position or, or why you live that way. And so I, I see that as a double-edged sword as well. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, we, we have to be... I think that awareness has to come into play with um, weighing pros and cons and being yeah. able to navigate something that we can't change if it is it's in a certain if it's set in a certain way or a certain person has a background you know we can still acknowledge things are detrimental we can still acknowledge mm-hmm. things are helpful they could be really hard but it's helpful and if that's not a summary of the christian life <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm not sure what is um self-denial uh mm-hmm. dying to self um listening being humbled constantly realizing how we were created for dependence um, when we're in a nation and a world that only cheers independence. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it's something to be very aware of. Um, well, Sharon, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a really fun conversation. Conversations that kind of do this to me are a lot <laughs> of fun because then they break into other conversations that can happen yeah. at other points. And uh, we hope to have you back on here again, maybe talk about that book you have coming out next August. Um, but thank you so much for your ministry. Thanks for your perspective. And I'll be praying for you uh, and Bright City um, in Durham as you guys continue investing in the next generation there and making an impact for the kingdom. Thanks again. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Sharon for joining me. The link to her website and her church's website can be found in the episode show notes and the YouTube video description. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And if you haven't checked out our YouTube channel yet, please go check that out and subscribe there as well. We have all of our episodes on YouTube starting this season. Also, every Friday, only on YouTube, we have a special five-minute segment called the Fantastic Friday Five. So go and check that out this Friday. On our website, youthministrymaverick.com, you can find all of our episodes, a complete list of our guests and their bios, a list of organizations to help you in your own ministry, some articles I've published, a store to support the podcast, and more. So go check that out. You can also find all of our social media handles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We appreciate ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts so we can be more seen. And if you leave us a review, not just a rating, but a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me and I will send you a personal thank you card with some merchandise you can't buy on the website. That's all for now. Hope to see you on YouTube this Friday. But until next time, thanks for listening. Adios.